0: Good evening, everyone. That was so weak. I'm going to give you another opportunity. Good evening, everyone. Much better. It's nice to see you here at Grace Church tonight. We're glad that you could be with us here on campus. It's nice to see all of you. And for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we would like to say welcome to you as well. We're glad that you could be with us tonight wherever you are. just want to make a, a few announcements. Some of these are pretty important. Listen closely, Uh, all of our services, all of our services from Sunday the 26th until Sunday the 1st will be dismissed due to the holiday season, so please keep that in mind. We also want to remind you that Sunday, January 2nd, will be a communion Sunday, and that's always a very special time here at Grace Church. And then... Beginning Monday, January 3rd, until Sunday, January 23rd, will be our 21 days of sacrifice. And also, please keep in mind that Tuesday, January 4th, we'll have our first Tuesday prayer here in the sanctuary at 7.30. So a lot going on at the beginning of the year. Uh, So please make note of those things. And if you were just left lost because of all of those dates and times I threw at you, you can always check that out. Uh, on the events tab on our church website or by clicking on the church app and um, you will be updated about everything going on. Before pastor comes this evening, I just wanted to take a moment to challenge your thinking a little bit on a Wednesday night. You know, the holiday season is very busy, but at the same time, it's often for many a time to kind of pull back and rest and reset a little bit. People take time away from work and their typical schedules to travel, to spend time with family, uh, take a vacation, and and generally just get away from work and the regular day-to-day for a little while. So most of us don't normally associate words like work or vocation or career with the Christmas story in scripture, and I wanna challenge that for just a moment. Whenever you think about all of the characters in the Christmas narrative, one of the most enigmatic has to be Jesus's earthly father, Joseph, because scripture just doesn't tell us explicitly a lot of facts about Joseph. And most of what we know about him has to be inferred. But one thing that we do know for sure in Mark chapter 6 and also in Matthew chapter 13, we learn that Joseph worked as a carpenter. Now, my concordance says that that Greek word tecton that we translate carpenter can also be understood to mean a craftsman or an artisan. So in other words, Joseph worked with wood to create new things for others. And of course, per the custom of that time, Joseph's children, including Jesus, would have worked alongside him. Here's what's most remarkable to me about Joseph's vocation as we consider the Christmas story God could have chosen for Jesus to grow up in anybody's home. He could have placed Jesus into a priestly household like he did with John the Baptist, where he would have spent his days surrounded by and devoted to prayer. He could have chosen for Jesus to grow up in the home of a Pharisee like the apostle Paul, where he would have spent hours upon end studying scriptures and being familiar with the law. He could have even placed Jesus in a fisherman's home since Jesus would spend so much time with fishermen and on the waterways during those three crucial years of his earthly ministry. But instead, God placed Jesus in the household of a carpenter where he would spend his days making things with his hands. Now, on the surface, that choice might seem a bit odd. But I would argue that it's one of the least surprising things in the entire Christmas story. Why? Because the work of Jesus's earthly father, Joseph, wasn't all that different from the work of his heavenly father. Because the scripture tells that tells us that in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God was productive. In the beginning, God worked. Work isn't beneath the God of the Bible. It's an essential part of who he is. And it's an essential part of who we are as his image bearers. So here's what I want to leave you with tonight. I told you this is a little bit different take on the Christmas story. But the work that you do outside of the holiday season, Sister Farah, it's not just it's not secular. It's not secular. It's not secondary. The work that you'll return to once this holiday season is over, it's not insignificant work. It is good and it is God-like. So do it in line with his character, with excellence, with love, with sacrifice, with justice, with beauty, with creativity as a response in worship. A little bit different take on the Christmas story. Y'all think about it. Look at your favorite neighbor tonight and tell them, I hope you have the best Christmas ever. Good job. Merry Christmas, everybody.
1: Great to see everybody tonight. Thank y'all for being here. And uh, what a great time this past Sunday. Uh, Man, the service here Sunday was rich. And uh, if you were not here, I would certainly encourage you to go back and watch it. Um, So well done in every way. So well done. And I applaud all the people that made that happen. And I applaud all the people that were certainly a part of it. Um. I know this is, what, Christmas Eve, 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 something like that. And uh, I do wish all of you a a very, very wonderful Christmas. Hope all of you have a great time. After tonight, our next service will be not this Sunday, but the next Sunday. And uh, everybody remember that. So I hope all of you have a great holiday season and that you recognize and notice the tremendous blessing of God in it. In preparation for this Bible study tonight, and it's it's a long study, and I'll probably break it in half tonight, which means tonight may be a little bit shorter. And that's what I was leading up to a moment ago. You're going to be so surprised. It's going to feel like you just got here. Maybe not quite that extreme, but um, we will not keep you long tonight. And I do hope all of you have a great very enjoyable and very safe holiday i want to read tonight from mark chapter 4 verse 24 in preparation for tonight um, i knew the crowd might be a little bit light because of the holiday season people traveling and what have you and and that thought led to this thought that i it, it would sometimes be nice to be accommodating as pastor to say look The Bible study I'm gonna teach next Wednesday or the sermon I'm gonna preach next Sunday, it's really not that big of a deal, so if you can't make it, don't worry about it. I never have that opportunity. Uh, Every time I come to the pulpit, uh, it's with a a pounding heart and uh, burdened shoulders and wanting to give to you, whoever's here, uh, the very best that I can. Uh, from the Lord and from the word of the Lord. Tonight is going to be no exception. You'll see in a moment. In Mark 4, and he, Jesus, said unto them, Take heed what you hear. Take heed what you hear. With what measure you meet, or how you measure what you hear. It shall be measured to you. And unto you that here shall more be given. <clears throat> For he that hath to him shall be given. And he that hath not from him shall be taken even that which he hath. This is kind of wordy and kind of hard to follow where it's meandering through this subject that Jesus is introducing. So I'll, I'll take it apart, unpack it in a moment. He went on to say, so is the kingdom of God. As if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought up, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Now, I'll comment about this in a moment, but this probably doesn't make a lot of sense right now. But follow me tonight as we go through this. I want to talk to you tonight about the standard of compensation. I talked to you last Wednesday night about the standard of devotion and worship and so on. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the standard of compensation. This passage that we just read is to some... It can be very, very difficult to grasp. The light reader and the surface thinker will not understand what Jesus is saying. This very fact is the point that Jesus was making. Is that he knew he was about to present to them an idea, a concept, a principle. That they wouldn't understand it. It would require a lot of thought. Going home and digging, searching, praying, that kind of thing. Grasping, listen to pastor, everybody bear with me tonight because I'm going to say this to listen over and over. But grasping and knowing the truth takes time. Grasping and knowing the truth takes time. It takes effort. It takes energy. The man has a twofold responsibility toward the truth, is, is what Jesus was referencing in the Scripture setting. Two principles that he was wanting to bring to light was, number one was to share the truth, and number two was to mark the truth. Jesus said, share the truth, and then Jesus shared a very simple truth. In one place in the New Testament, Jesus said, and all of you are familiar with this, he said a candle is to be placed on a candlestick in the most conspicuous place where it can best be seen by everybody around. The candle or the lamp is a symbol. It's a type of the truth. It stands for the light of the truth. Light and truth are to be the character, the very nature and behavior of the believer. The believer is to live the truth. He is to set the candle, the truth, in the most conspicuous place in his life. This is reflected in what we teach here in Grace Church. This would be speech, dress, Attitude, conduct, etc. A candle is not placed under a basket where it would be extinguished, yielding it incapable of fulfilling its purpose. A hidden candle is a candle without a purpose. God gives the light of truth to believers for a specific purpose. And that's that it might be shared with those around us who live in darkness. God wants others to see and know the light, the truth and purpose of life. The believer must make sure that he does not hide or misuse the light of truth. Jesus said, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Paul said in Philippians 2 that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. If the church ever had an opportunity to shine bright in the world, it's the one we're living in. Peter said, a familiar reading, we all know it, but your chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So Jesus said that we are to mark the truth, to take heed and to make sure you hear the truth. Jesus is still talking about the responsibility of the hearer. The hearer is responsible for hearing the truth. He is also responsible for what he hears and how he interprets what is being said. A man is responsible for making sure that he knows the truth and that he possesses the truth. He is responsible for what he hears. He's responsible for what he possesses. And he is responsible for what he knows. Listen to Pastor tonight. If a man is filled with junk, he is responsible for the junk. If he is filled with the knowledge of real truth, then he is also responsible for the truth. A man is accountable for what he fills his heart and mind with. A man is to take heed. He is to keep guard. He is to watch. And to make sure that what he hears is the truth. It's the hearer's responsibility. Jesus states that why a person must take heed and make sure he hears the truth. There is a principle of truth that takes effect in every person's life. And it's pointedly clear by listening. The measure to which a man gives himself to know the truth determines his reward from that knowledge. I want to explain something to all of us here tonight. And, and I may come back to this and, and if not tonight, on the next Wednesday night we teach. I've often pondered, We, I'll use this term tonight, we're mostly home folks here tonight, why... Apostolic people, stalwart, apostolic, one God, Jesus' name, tongue-talking, holiness, people. Go charismatic. We don't understand sometimes how potent the Bible is. We don't understand how potent its teaching is. So when you receive that and you acknowledge that, You profess that. You go for some space of time in your life where you live what the word of God teaches and then all of a sudden conclude that I don't have to do all of that anymore. That's Jesus taking away what you had. And you're left with nothing. That's what the scripture, in my opinion, and from my study is talking about. So the measure to which a person gives himself to know the truth will determine his reward. The energy, the effort, the degree of commitment, the time, the depth of thought, all that a person gives to know the truth, Jesus said, will determine his reward. Okay, here goes. I read this a moment ago. In Mark 4, 24, then the person... Who gives himself to know the truth shall be given more truth. You have to understand that under the auspices and the umbrella of truth is power, is authority, is blessing, is direction, is vision, is hope, is promise. All of those things. So Jesus said the more that a person gives himself to know the truth, you'll be given more truth and that umbrella of truth will be expanded and expanded and expanded. But watch this. The person who does not give himself to know the truth shall lose all, Jesus said. By you not living what you profess to be the truth, it's like you take down that umbrella. So, the commitment the energy, the effort, the work, the knowledge, and the degree to which a man gives himself to the truth or to God all determines how much God is able to entrust and give back to that man, or that person. This is more, this principle is more than just, and I've heard people say this and I've said it, you only get out of it what you put into it. This is more than that. This, what I'm teaching tonight is that statement on steroids, if you will. It's, this isn't addition here, this is multiplication. this is two, this is exponential. I think common sense will tell us these things if we listen to it. So God expects God expects a man to seek after the truth. God hates or abhors laziness, selfishness, indulgence, uselessness, excuses, worldliness, and ignorance. God holds a man responsible for hearing the truth. He does think God has a right to have these kind of expectations upon the hearer because he paid a pretty huge price for us to be able to sit here and hear what we're hearing right now in fact God expects a man to look around and observe and subdue the world this principle was established in Genesis 128 with Adam and Eve he gave them dominion over the world yes he did they had an opportunity to have dominion over the devil, but they they messed that up, as we all know. But it is still the hearer of truth. It's that person's responsibility to subdue the world. In other words, the world don't dominate your life. And then the Bible teaches in 2 Timothy 1.13 to get up and go hear a man who knows and teaches the truth. The Bible teaches that. That is a person's responsibility to do that. And then the Bible teaches in John 14, 6 to learn and know Jesus Christ. It's our responsibility as hearers to get to know Jesus through the word of God who is the truth. Everybody said amen. And then in John 17, 17 it is the hearer's responsibility to sit down and study the truth. To study the word of God because we will be judged for what we have heard and we are to give ourselves to hear the truth. This is what the Bible teaches. Now, I don't know how to get around this. I don't, I don't know how to make this bargain with God and say, you know, that's just a little hard. God, if you could just let up a little bit on me, I'd really appreciate it. I don't, I don't see where that is applicable in this scripture setting. Let me talk to you tonight about the importance of our knowledge. Perhaps you will agree that our safety and sense of well-being, our life, in fact, depends on the degree to which we can trust the accuracy of the knowledge of the people we deal with. I'll give you an example. In July of 1971, a jumbo 747 jet was damaged on takeoff in San Francisco. Fortunately, no one was injured, although there were serious injuries. Later, the pilot testified that the flight dispatcher had told him his runway was 9,500 feet long, which it was, however, mostly because of construction work, only 8,400 feet were available for him to use for takeoff. This led to a miscalculated takeoff speed and consequently the accident investigators thus came down to the use of incorrect takeoff speed resulting from a series of irregularities tiny pieces of misinformation or lack of information <clears throat> every day in this in this in our world every day thousands and thousands of passengers stake their lives on the gamble that bits of information vital to their safety will be transmitted with absolute Scrupulous accuracy. It fascinates me that people don't do that with their church experience all around the world. Because that's your eternity. Not an airplane ride down a runway. Can I tell you tonight, and I'm telling me tonight, that there are people with whom we have regular contact with that are like that. They depend on you and me to communicate to them the unchanging word of God with clarity and accuracy. Whether they believe it or not, whether they live it or not, they still want to know the truth. Paul wrote to Timothy, very familiar reading, but he, he said to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed Rightly dividing the word of truth. To study the word of God is to make an investment in knowledge. Which according to Benjamin Franklin, always pays the best interest. And I want to let everybody here tonight know, everybody. What you don't know can hurt you. Hosea said in Hosea 4.6, God spoke through him and said, My people are destroyed because of a lack of knowledge one man tells the the following true story in a a booklet that was published a number of years ago he said, on a large campground one morning while a beautiful testimony meeting was running and the saints were full of praises and the glory of God was was on the multitude a young man arose and began to testify He at once began to leap in the air, and he thanked God that he had no education and that he was ignorant and was glad of that fact. There was an old white-haired saint there with a beautiful smile on his face, and he said, young man, you have lots to be thankful for. You just don't know it yet. When I was a child, I remember this distinctly. I can still hear this commercial being played on the radio. I've, I've heard it as a child and even as a teenager. It was the commercials that were aired regularly by what was then the United Negro College Fund. Their slogan then, and no doubt still is, that the mind is a terrible thing to waste. We have an obligation of comp- compensation tonight that what God allows us to hear, the impetus is on us now to develop it to study it, to let it grow, and to cause our relationship with God to be more enhanced as a result of it. God never established for us to sit in a place where we question and debate and look for loopholes and say, I don't have to do it and all of that kind of stuff. He wants you to be the opposite. And I have found in my own personal life, I had a conversation with somebody yesterday about this. I found in my own personal conversation that the more through the years I've studied the Word of God, the more I'm like, wow. Have you ever heard that sermon? Somebody just say a line or a Bible study where somebody just quotes a line out of the Bible and, or, or, or some knowledge of truth that they've come across and you're like, wow. I've sat here and listened to our own ministry team preach and say, why didn't I think of that? It's because the Bible is so full of amazing, life-enhancing truths. It makes our life quality. It makes our lives excellent. It gives us a greater understanding of God, a greater appreciation of God. All of these things matter. And everybody said amen. amen. So if a mind is a terrible thing to waste... If that's true in the natural world, in the natural sense, then how much more is it true in the spiritual sense? I'll conclude with with this point right here. Told y'all it wasn't going to be long. Y'all didn't believe me. On an occasion when the Pharisees were trying to entrap Jesus, They did this over and over, and they never learned. They asked, what was the greatest commandment in the law? What is it? Jesus answered them, but he added to it. In Matthew 23, 37, notice it on the screen. They asked him, what is the greatest commandment? Here it is. He said, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. Everybody say mind. This quote, he's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 5. When Moses said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Jesus didn't say might. He said mind. If you study the New Testament carefully following the book of Acts. I've taught for years that all of the epistles, you have one book in the Bible that teaches you how to receive the Holy Ghost. And then you have all these other books that follow it that tells you how to keep it. But if you study the New Testament, especially following the book of Acts, a lot of what you read deals with the mind. How people think, how they perceive, what their perspective is, etc. When Jesus said to love the Lord your God with all your mind, He's talking about this is where the truth, this is what it goes through first, if you will. Faith comes by hearing. So the word of God goes into your ear, through your brain, and then your brain distributes it, if you will, through the rest of your being. When Jesus added the words with all your mind, his purpose was to show that a person's total being must be involved And loving God, loving the word of God, and loving truth. You can't do it with just part of you. So when it comes to our relationship with God, nothing must be held back. Because God holds nothing back. Much of the New Testament focuses on Jesus' addition with all your mind by strongly emphasizing the renewing of your mind in at least two different places in the New Testament, in Romans 12 and Ephesians 4. I believe that we need this emphasis every bit as much as this scribe who came to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment? Much of modern-day teaching attempts to bypass the mind, it's, it's all about the heart. It's all about the heart. Jesus just looks at the heart. It's a fallacy. If Jesus only looks at the heart, he'd have requoted the Deuteronomy Scripture, said, love the Lord thy God with all your heart. And left the soul and mind out of it. But he didn't. He wants a total encapsulation of our being and our relationship with him, not just part of you. And we've heard this all of our lives, but I'm coming with it tonight from a different perspective and hopefully you understand. So a lot of modern day teaching, a lot of modern day teaching, a lot of churches, especially here in our country, they want to bypass the mind. They they want people to be able to think what they want to think, watch what they want to watch, do what they want to do, go where they want to go. As long as your heart's in the right place. It's not what the Bible teaches. It's not. And you can't totally blame the pastor a lot of the impetus according to this study tonight goes to the hearer it's your job to take your bible home and study that out on your own <clears throat> so in conclusion tonight yet the the, the as, as vital as the mind is and jesus has made that clear we need to take every thought captive for christ paul said another very familiar word verse to cast down um, imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. That verse right there, that one statement is mind-boggling me. It's powerful. I don't know how you get around it and then go take the word of God and do whatever you want to with it. I'm, I, I guess in the back of my mind, you don't know this maybe, but in the back of my mind I'm reflecting back on the Wednesday night Bible study or it might have been a Sunday sermon, whatever it was, a few weeks ago where I, took, I brought all those Bibles to the pulpit. Y'all remember that? and then offered to take one and just cut all these verses out, this would be a good one to to cut out because now you can think however you want to think and you can do whatever you want to do as long as your heart is in the right place. It's not what the Bible teaches, it's not. He said, to cast down imaginations, that's your mind, and every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God, that's your mind, and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's what the Bible teaches. I want to stop right here again this is a, a longer study uh, I will introduce it I'll do a little bit of review in a couple of weeks but we 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 have far too many heart and emotion only Pentecostals uh, sister Murphy and I had a short conversation the other day and uh, just this statement that I made to her is there's a lot of people who want to attend church but they don't want to be in church and it's, it's, it doesn't work. And, and God, I've tried to take the Bible. Uh, you know, if you take all the holiness stuff out, just get rid of all the holiness stuff that the Bible teaches. If, if we could do that, I promise you there'd still be people in the church that would take the Bible and find something else. So can we take that out? And then pretty soon you left with, its bottom line, it would be the Bible would be a journal. It'd, have, it'd be in a cover with paper, pages on the inside, but there's no writing at all. You can just do whatever you want to do, and God understands, and we'll all go to heaven one day. But that's, folks, this is, this is my job. This is what I've been called to do. And I, <clears throat> we have an obligation to study the word of God, and to live its precept and principle, especially when there's been times in your life where you have. I believe there's a difference in coming to Jesus and departing from Jesus. Coming to Jesus is that new convert, and they don't know everything. They don't know everything about the scripture. We, we've had folks come to Grace Church through the years that, oh my goodness, uh, but, as time goes on, they get closer and closer to Jesus and their lives clean up and they get better, better, better. And invariably, no matter when this happens, they always meet that established saint who's been in church for some number of years. They meet each other. One's coming to Jesus, the new convert is, the new person. And then you have these older established people that are walking away and they kind of bump into each other. Brother Anthony Mangan said one time at camp meeting, one of the most frustrating things he ever experienced As pastor, one of the most frustrating things is when he gives an altar call on Sunday morning that sinners are coming to the altar and the saints are rushing to get out to the door to the closest restaurant so they don't have to wait on the table. And I'm using that analogy to say that we have people that are constantly at Grace Church drawing closer and closer to God, but they're bumping into the people who are moving further and further away from God. The impetus is on us to take the Bible and to study it and to know the truth of the Word of God and then live it obey it it's compensation God gives you his truth and you get back to him by living it by loving it by studying it thank the Lord does anybody here tonight love Jesus amen, amen. let's give the Lord some hand praise tonight let's give him some appreciation thank you Jesus Thank the Lord. God bless you tonight again. Y'all have a Merry Christmas. All of you J-Viers and our younger children up here, some of them are sleeping. Uh, poor little darlings. Uh, I hope y'all get everything that you want for Christmas. And Your mom and dad and your grandparents just really kick in the dough and buys all that expensive stuff that you've been wanting. Wouldn't necessarily hold your breath, but, <laughs> but maybe, you never know, there is a God, and he can work miracles, so we'll see. Anyway, God bless you tonight. Love you, folks. Merry Christmas, and we'll see you all in about a week and a half.